I'm excited about this series that we're walking into. This series is called Anything But Average. Anything But Average. And here's what I love about this, is that nobody, nobody wants to lump themselves into the average category. Nobody gets excited about the idea of being average. And here's how I know that. I've never had a conversation with someone and said, hey, how are you, how, how, tell me about yourself. Oh, you know, I'm pretty average. I haven't, I've never had that conversation. No one wants to describe their life as average. I've never been with a group of guys and said, hey, tell me about your wife. And, and, and the guy goes, oh, you know, she's average. Right? I've never been with a couple and said, hey, tell me about your kids. And you go, oh, man, I love my kids. They're so average. Nobody shoots for average. Average is not the bar anybody is gunning for. But here's the funny thing about average. By definition, most people, most of the time, have to be average or else average isn't a thing right? That's by definition, most people, most of the time are average, but no one wants to find themselves in the average category. You guys made it to the first ever second service at a new time with a time change. So right off the bat, none of you are average. Great job. (laughs) Great job. Proud of you guys. Yeah, totally worth it. So I'm really excited about that. But the reality is there is an entire industry that makes millions, if not billions of dollars in advertising because they're trying to learn how to narrow down average. They figure if they can get average, then most people do it. That's why sometimes you're watching TV and you see a commercial and you're like, that's amazing. I need one of those. I didn't know I needed one of those. And they're, they're just like, oh, because they have somehow gotten into your brain, looked through your webcam. I don't know what they did. Figure out how your mind works and figured out what to sell to you so that you will buy things. That's an industry trying to figure out what is average and what will sell so that they can make profit off of us for figuring out average. That's a thing. People have to figure out to determine what average is. They want to do that. Here's the thing. Average isn't always bad. Like, I feel a sense of pride if you say, you know, the average American, right? The average American, because I think we live in the greatest country in the world. And if you don't, you can leave. No, I'm teasing. (laughs) I just think, hey, our country isn't perfect, but I'll take our not perfect over anybody else's not perfect. So there, how you like me now? I'll take it. So I love that we get to live in America. But here's some things that are true of the average American that may or may not surprise you. The average American spends 103% of their income. And you said, what? How does that work? Well, they have an average of 15,000 in credit card debt that comes along with spending 103% of your income. Now, I'm not great at math, but I'm average at math. And I would say if I spent 103% of my income, yeah, eventually I'd have 15000 or more in debt. That's how that works. Uh-oh. The average American is 23 pounds over their ideal weight. I'm not going to turn around at this point. So we don't have to make eye contact and have that conversation. The average American hates their job because of their boss. That's really specific. It's not just, I hate my job, but it's, why do you hate your job? I hate my boss. The average American, oh, this one's tough. The more you make, the less percentage-wise you give. Here's how that works. I made $100, I gave 10. 
I made $1,000, I gave 10. I made a million dollars, I gave 10. That's how the average American processes their generosity. The more percentage, the average American has an attention span of eight seconds. Did I lose you? <laughs> Did I, how many were checking their phone right there? Come on. <laughs> Here's what's really sad. I don't know how they get this stat. I don't know how they prove this scientifically, but the next line was the average goldfish has an attention span of nine seconds. And so I just want you to know, we ranked right under goldfish for attention span. Average American, we're so inundated with information and so many things. So there are some things about being an average American. Some of those you felt maybe more than others. Here's the thing. Some of the deeper surveys start talking about things like the average American dad. This one kind of blew me away. The average American dad, remember, I don't think any of you are average, has 27 and a half hours of, uh, a week they're engaged in entertainment or leisure. So that's Facebook, that's checking your fantasy football, that's getting around to golfing, that's hanging out with your buddies. That's whatever it is. 27 and a half hours a week, they're engaged in entertainment and leisure. However, the average American dad spending seven hours a week engaged with their kids. Don't worry, I don't think any of you are average. Just telling you what the numbers say. So this is an interesting thing, this average that seems to be. Now remember, this is what's most true of most people. It's what's most true of most people. So I'm so excited that you're here as we get to launch into the series because this whole series is about how do we break through the lid of average? How do we rise above that? How do we move beyond that? And here's what's great. God really cares about a generation of his followers and his people, about believers breaking the lid of average. He didn't leave us here to just be average. In fact, Jesus actually taught behaviors that would lead to an above average life. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to walk through some of those things. There are some phrases that are out there that talk about kind of breaking through the above average life. And, and I wanted to just check through some of these with you because these are things that Jesus said. He said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Ooh, that's an interesting one. I like this one. He said, turn the other cheek. Turn the other cheek. How about this one? Give them the shirt off your back. I like this one. Go the extra mile. Go the extra mile. All right, so here's your test. See who's above average. Jesus said this. Where did he say it at? He said all these things in one spot. Where did he say it? Someone said it. Sermon on the what? Sermon on the Mount. Yeah, you passed. You're above average. Congratulations. They're all things that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, I love the Sermon on the Mount. It's in Matthew chapter 5. If you have a Bible, you're already another step above average. You can open it up to Matthew chapter 5. If it's on your phone, that's okay. It won't hurt my feelings. I use a digital Bible all the time. I'm like, I got 30 versions on me at all time, just in the cloud, following me around. Why wouldn't I access that? Matthew chapter five, and it's the Sermon on the Mount. Now, I love the Sermon on the Mount, but most of the time when people say they love the Sermon on the Mount, that's an immediate indicator to me that they have not read the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> because there's some harsh things in there. Things about if your right hand causes you to sin, chop it off. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. There's some harsh things in there 
that aren't probably your favorite parts of Scripture. So when you say, I love the Sermon on the Mount, you probably haven't read all of it. If you have, that's pretty good. Someone wants one, give them two. Sermon on the Mount. Pretty crazy. So I'm going to land on a couple of things that Jesus said about being above average and living above average. And before I do, I just want to say something about some of these phrases that we're going to walk into today. It's important when we get into the scriptures that we recognize that Jesus was saying these things to a culture that was 2,000 years ago. And he uses phrases and idioms that are relevant to that culture. So we have to understand how they would have heard this in order to get it. Let me make this make sense. If you were to go 100 years into the past and tell someone, hey, can you snap a selfie of me? That language would make no sense to them because they don't have a frame. Yeah, amazing. They don't have a frame of reference for that to work. It doesn't work. Now imagine probably 2,000 years in the future, if you say, hey, can you snap a selfie for me? It's not gonna probably make a lot of sense to them. Some of the things we use and do today may not translate 2,000 years. Now the words may still be words that we understand, but we may not put those idioms together the same way. Someone told me after first service, it was funny. It'd be like um, the idea that maybe in 2,000 years, someone might see a tanning bed and go, oh, they used to burn people alive in those times, right? Because they just wouldn't understand why that is a thing. And so we run into that with this passage. Jesus is telling a specific group of people in a specific time, some incredible principles that translate to us today, but we get hot, caught up sometimes on the verbiage and we miss the heart of what he's trying to say. So I'm gonna try and walk us through some of these incredible phrases that we're all familiar with, but actually, if we got it into our hearts, could help us break the lid of average. So I'm gonna read the whole passage to you, and then I'll break it down for you a little bit. Matthew chapter five, four verses, uh, verse 38 to 42. Jesus is talking here, and he says, hey, you've heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let them have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Now this is awful and completely not my favorite. If I just look at the words, the way they're laid out, I'm like, seriously? It's not helpful. But there are some incredible truths about breaking through average in here that we are going to walk through. And some of them don't even necessarily make sense. I mean, when's the last time you were wearing a cloak and a tunic together? So we got to figure that out. And I think we'll give you some versions that might help you a little bit on there. But we're going to walk through this. The first thing we got to talk about is the fact that it says, you have heard that it was said. Jesus is talking to a crowd, just like I'm talking to you guys. And if I said, hey, you have heard that it was said, then I'm talking about something that you've heard before. It has to come from somewhere, right? If I just say, it is like this, then that's different. But if I said, hey, you've heard this expression or that it's said, then I'm referencing something that I'm expecting you to be able to connect to. Does that make sense? Are you with me so far? So he leads with, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now this is ripped out of Leviticus chapter 24 and it's called the law of retaliation. 
the law of retaliation. Now, I gotta be honest with you. I have always liked that this was in the Bible. Why wouldn't I like this? This is awesome. This is me reading it going, hey, God is awesome. He's like, I don't have to take any mess from you. If you mess with me, I get permission to mess with you right back. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. It's in the Bible, it's in the law. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He fulfilled the law. It's like, sweet, mess with me. I get to mess with you back. And I think we read this text. Generations have misread this text and said, hey, the Bible says eye for eye, tooth for tooth. You got me, I get to get you. Sock me, I sock you. That's how it goes. The problem is we don't pay attention to where this came from. In the Levitical laws, in in, uh, Leviticus chapter 24, this law of retaliation, you know what the purpose of this law was? The purpose of this law was not to guarantee that if I got messed with, I got to mess with you right back. What this law was put into place for was because you got to remember, they're just becoming a nation. They don't got a lot of laws. There's not sheriffs. They're traveling. They're like by family unit all together, wandering through the desert. And if somebody gets offended and wronged, how do I know how much justice to go get from you? You ticked me off. You hurt me. And here's what would happen. I would hurt you and your mom and your cousin and your sister and your brother and your uncle and all your friends because you hurt me. And the law was in place not to guarantee that you would go and get justice, but to lid and put a cap on the amount of justice that you could go back and get. That was the purpose of this law. It was actually given more to the governing principles. It was supposed to be the legal precedence of how we do that. Hey, that was awesome. Something floating through the air. That's what the point of that was. So that's, that was why this law came into place. It did not mean you had to do this. It simply meant you could not, would not do more than this. That's an interesting principle to put in place. So let's translate how that looks for us today. A couple, several years ago now, most of you heard this uh, kind of story because it went flying through the news. It was hilarious, hilarious. Uh, It was interesting. There was a woman, she goes to McDonald's, she orders coffee. It's super hot. She spills it on herself. She sues. You guys remember the story? She ends up with a million plus dollars for spilling coffee on herself. And the story, now listen, I don't know all the details of the story. Maybe she deserved the million dollars. I don't know. But the implication was this person had so egregiously manipulated the the system that by spilling coffee on themselves, you know, last time you spilled coffee on yourself, did someone offer you a million dollars for your, now here's what happened. Every coffee went from $2 to $5 (laughs) so that they could cover any potential litigation. I don't know if that's what happened, but cause and effect. Coffee got crazy expensive and she got a million dollars. What is that? That is no lid that makes sense for the amount of offense that was done, right? So you know that when you were, when you were growing up, come on now, someone messed with your family. Someone messed with your little brother and what'd they do? You go and get your big brother and your aunt and your uncle. Listen, this is how we did it in the Puerto Rican house. We call it Puerto Rican judo, right? You messed with one of us and now you get to experience some Puerto Rican judo. And Puerto Rican judo goes like this. You don't know we got guns. You don't know we got knives. You don't know my family's out back. You don't know any of that, right? So let's bring it. (laughs) Some Puerto Rican judo, right? And that's just how we rolled. You mess with one of the cousins. You mess with the whole family. And pretty soon there'd be a huge, epic throwdown. 
That's where all, every little fight led to. So the law of retaliation was about, hey, guys, chill out. Chill out. When justice has been served, you got to relax. You got offended. You lost an eye. They lost an eye. It's cool now. Their kids don't all have to lose eyes. Everybody doesn't have to die in their family. It's okay, right? Your ox got, you know, injured. Their ox is now injured. Or they paid you for the ox. It's even, we're cool now. It was about justice, not exceeding what had been done. Does that make sense? Everybody's with me now? That's where that came from. But we, we all struggle because when we get offended, we want to get someone back way, way worse, way, way worse. He goes on to say, you've heard of us said eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Now, this is a challenging thing here. Don't resist an evil person is a challenging thing because when we read this phraseology this way, it looks like, I'm just looking at it with you guys. Don't resist an evil person. What if an evil person kicks my door down to my house? Don't resist them. Just like, here you go. Here's my house. Here's my kids. Here's my life. Do what you want. That's, that's awful. That's not helpful at all. Why would God say, don't resist any evil people? But then you look at the whole of scripture and you go, okay, well, is the devil evil? The scriptures say, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. So resistance is expected in the presence of evil. So I'm trying to reconcile that. So you got to figure out, if he says don't resist an evil person, he certainly can't be talking about self-defending yourself, protecting yourself, avoiding getting into danger. In fact, I think it's Psalm 82. It talks about uh, taking on the cause of the weak and the, uh, and the downcast that we're to defend. It actually is a biblical mandate to have courage and to defend those that are in need and to not back down from, from, from tyranny and to stand up to those things. It's actually strong within the scriptures, those principles. So why would he say don't resist an evil person? Well, you have to understand what he says next because he's defining the type of evil person that he's talking about. He says, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, then turn to them the other cheek also. Now, again, here's an area of scripture that we have heard quoted all over the place and we don't understand life and culture 2,000 years ago. We just see English words, hey, turn the other cheek and we think, hey, if someone's like, bam, you're like, sweet, please may I have another. Bam, sweet, please may I have another. Bam, right? That is not what Jesus is talking about here. If it was, I'm out. Sorry, Jesus. So what is he talking about? Can a Christian defend themselves? Can a Christian protect themselves? Well, let me just give you a couple things that might rock your view on this a little bit, and then I'll give you exactly what's going on here. First of all, you should know, through the scriptures, Christians defend themselves. It's in there. Did you know that the disciples were packing swords? In the garden, Jesus gets arrested. Peter pulls out a sword. Whack! Hits him on the ear. Jesus is like, dude, relax. This is part of the plan. Heals the ear. Then he says, Peter, throw that sword away. No, that's not what he says. He just says, sheathe that sword. He's like, you're going to need that later. In fact, later on, he says, if you have to sell some clothes and make sure you're packing some swords as you go out from here. He actually encourages them to be ready to kind of defend themselves. And so I know some of you are like, where are you going? You going second? I'm not going second a minute. Relax. I'm just telling you there's a principle in the scriptures where followers of Jesus were encouraged to be prepared to meet resistance and protect themselves. So don't resist an evil person can't mean be a victim constantly of abuse. Now, some of you are like, but I don't want to do that. I just want to be, that's okay. There's room in the kingdom to land however you want to land on this. I'm just telling you, there is not a mandate here to put yourself in a position of consistent abuse. It's not a mandate. That's not what he's saying. In fact, he goes on to say here, 
If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn them the, cheek other, the other cheek also. Now, I think we, we, say, we say turn the other cheek, but we, we forget. It's, he's very specific here. If anyone slaps you, not tackles you, assaults you, stabs you, chokes you out, rear naked, chokes you, figure four leg locks you. He slaps you, and then he says on the right cheek. So we're going to do a little exercise here, okay? I don't want you to slap someone. I just want you to look at somebody, all right? Figure out which cheek is their right cheek. Just look at their right cheek, okay? All right. Now, I want you to think, most people are right-handed. If you're a lefty, you're excused from this exercise. I want you to envision, some of you, this won't be hard for you to do, what it would take for you to slap them on the right cheek. Just envision it with your right hand. It's, <laughs> some of you are next to each other, so you're like, I go, right? The right cheek is going to require one of these, right? Backhand. That is very significant culturally here in what's going on. A slap on the right cheek is a very specific thing, just like a selfie, right? It's a very specific thing. And, and it has been this thing for thousands of years. If someone comes up and goes, whoopa, they have not, well, they, they have, maybe they hurt you. I don't know how big they are, right? But they have not assaulted you like to try to kill you. What they have tried to do is provoke a fight with you, provoke a response out of you, bring out of you something so that it can instigate. This is, think like the knights, right? They take their glove off and they're like, whoopa, and they throw it down. The guy throws the glove back at them, right? Just provoke a duel. That's what's happening here. This is a don't, Jesus is saying, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, if someone comes up to you and tries to instigate with you, if someone tries to draw you into conflict, don't take the bait. Don't take the bait. That's average. That's average if someone insults you to go, you know what, that's it. Because this is not about a physical damaging blow. This is about being insulted. And let me tell you something, church folks. We often are way better at recovering from physical injury than we are from insult. We can carry an insult for a long, long time. Can I talk to the ladies for a second? <laughs> All right, I'll move on. I'll move on. Just know that we were there. We have the gift, come on, ladies, of carrying. We got, well, got, you got good memories. You can remember, oh, no, she did not say, think, do, whatever it is. They're out. Insult. And Jesus is saying, you are not to be the carry, the insult, take the bait, live in conflict with everybody, people. That's average. We take the insult and say, no, no, no. We'll carry it. We're not going to take the bait. We're not going to take the bait. We're above that. Turn the other cheek. That's what he's talking about. See, some of you just learned something. You're like, hey, this was way helpful, Pastor Mike. Let me write this down. Don't worry, it'll be online, I think. We're not the repay everyone. So what is the evil person? That's what it is, the offender, the person who comes to offend you, the person who has an agenda to try to offend you and get you off your game. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, hey, we're not in the fight that. Now, here's the thing I think we missed too. This little word right here. If, right? It doesn't say 
Every time, when, line up to get slapped again, it doesn't say that we're the people that just look for the people who are offenders so that we can provoke that and be the ones who take all the offense. It is well within your faith and within your following of Jesus to have healthy boundaries around serial offenders. That's okay. But he's saying, we're not the people who hold offense and don't let it go. Turn the other cheek. Make a little more sense? Let's keep walking through it. Where am I at? It's an insult, not an injury. Oh, verse 40. Is that where I'm at? Yeah. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your, I like this, your shirt and hand over your coat as well. I like this version because it says shirt and coat instead of tunic (laughs) because we know what a shirt and coat is, right? If I'm wearing a coat right now and you sue me and you take my shirt, I ain't naked. I still got some non-indecent exposure parts. But if you take my shirt and my coat, now all of a sudden I am exposed. Why is that significant? Again, you gotta understand the culture. Clothing had intrinsic value. It was a tradable commodity. Here's how you know that. Jesus, when they take his clothes off, they want those. The soldiers cast lots. They gamble to see who gets that. Why? Because it has financial value. You could trade your clothes. You could give the shirt off your back if you needed to. As a result, here's what this passage is about. At this time, it was a, there was a legal precedence because a lot of people were just traveling. They had shirts and cloaks and not much else. And they would get in trouble with the law or with somebody. And that person would take them to court before whatever the council was and say, hey, this person's done this. And they would make a ruling and say, okay, well, they don't have anything else, but you can take the shirt because that's a tradable commodity. Now, here's why that's significant for a couple reasons. Number one, 2,000 years ago, just like today, the poorest always have the worst representation in the legal field and are often the most exploited. So someone who was wealthier or of more means or more connected could leverage the legal system against the poorest among them, and the poorest were generally the ones who were giving up their shirts. Does that make sense? Along with that, there was a legal precedence about your coat. Here's why. Your coat or your cloak doubled as a sleeping bag. It protected you from the elements, especially if you were homeless or traveling or on your own. And taking someone's cloak initially, if they were the poorest among you, could be a death sentence to them. So you've been wronged. Maybe someone stole an apple off your cart. I don't know what it is. You took them to court. They got caught. They had to give up their shirt to cover the cost of that expense. You could not take their cloak and give them a death sentence for that crime. Does that make sense? Now you see the context. So why is Jesus saying this? He's saying, listen to me. There are gonna be people out there who have an exploitive, manipulative agenda with you. And we are gonna be generous nonetheless. You are going to be generous because you are going to be like me and I'm generous. And people exploited and manipulated me and I still gave myself away. And my followers and the people who call themselves Christians, Christ's little Christ, are going to be generous. Even when people have manipulated us, we're going to have a heart that stays tender and generous. He says, that's who we are. He says, anyone can say, hey, here's the bear, here's, the, here's just this. That's average. 
Now, is he saying you should die? No, he's given an example. How to be generous. The language is supposed to be shocking. Let them have your cloak as well. But it's hard sometimes to be generous. It's hard sometimes to not be offended. It's hard to do this. It requires something of us. He goes on to say, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Now, this doesn't always make sense to us. We understand go the extra mile. But where does this come from? Well, that may make it make sense for you. You got to realize at this time, the Jewish people are conquered. Rome's in control. Rome is an invading army and they have set up shop. It's kind of like this. I was trying to think about this first service. The only thing I can think of, we're in Washington. It'd be like if Canada invaded us and they won and Washington became part of Canada. Yeah, that's what they look like, right? And every time we walked outside, we saw these dudes, right? And they're like, hey, how you doing, hey? I don't know. Huh? I just know they say hey, right? Here's the thing. What they could literally do in that time, because Roman soldiers had to carry a lot of gear. In fact, it was not unusual if they were packing all of their gear for them to have a backpack weighing in excess of 100 pounds. They got armor, swords, weapons, whatever they need, provisions. So there was a law in place because they've been conquered. It's not a Jewish law. This is a law from Rome that they could walk up to you and say, Beth, here's my bag. You're going to carry it for me. I got to go north. And you were legally bound to accept that weight and carry it for one mile. Now, can you imagine how much you would hate that? If at any given time, the people who had conquered you you walked outside and you're like, oh, I got to go pick up my kids for school. And you're on your way to pick up your kids from school. And here comes one of those Mounties. And they're like, hey, you, I need you to carry this a mile that direction. Are you kidding me? I have some places. In Are you refusing to do what I've told you to do? The law? Grab that post. Here comes the whip. You legally had to do it. They hated this law so much. This is what happened in their culture, right? The Jews had figured out that a mile was about a thousand steps. So this is what they do. Give me your bag. Take the bag. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, 18, 19, 20, 150, 250, 350, 977, 978, 999, 1,000. And then they would leave. And it was illegal for that Roman soldier to push you one step beyond that, but completely legal to carry you, to, to force you to carry their load to that distance. Just... Feel that for a moment, how much. So now here's an audience, and here's Jesus. And he's like, hey, when you leave this place, if you walk out there, and someone says, hey, carry my load a mile, go with them too. Uh, no, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> That's not gonna be something I'm really excited about. And he says, I want you to do that. Why? Why would he do that? Well, there's a couple things that would happen. You gotta think about this culturally. It's illegal for him to tell you that you have to take it two miles, right? You have to take it anything over a mile. So in theory, something happens at step number 1,001. At step number 1,001, the leverage has changed a little bit because you've now broken the law if I can prove you forced me to go this far. Step number 1,002, step number 1,900, all the way up, right? Something relationally in our situation has now changed 
as I'm serving you this second mile. All of a sudden, the trust and the relational components that come into play, those dynamics are all completely different in mile number two. There's a reason why we say we like someone who goes the extra mile, why we say we like someone who goes beyond. There's a trust and a relational depth that we have with people who go the extra mile. Here's how I know. Think about, it won't take you very long, you know the person, maybe it's at school or at work, who does the bare minimum every time you're around them. They come strolling into work, work starts at eight, they're there at 8.03. They drop their stuff out at their desk and they head towards the bathroom. (laughs) Come on, you know the guy or gal. About 8.15, they're kind of rolling into whatever the stuff is. They're sitting there checking their stuff. And they're just, and you're cranking because you're giving your best. And they're doing the bare minimum. And you have a certain opinion about the person that does that and lives that way. What is it? Average. Maybe below average in your mind. And Jesus says, we're not those people. We're the excellence people. We're the give our best people. We're the do our best people. We're the, even if I wasn't exactly my plan in the first place, I'm here to give you my best. <laughs> Some of you have been in that situation before. I'll tell you the situation and you'll laugh right now. Someone said, hey, can you help me move? You're like, sweet, what time are we loading the truck? They say, oh, five o'clock. You're like, sweet, you get there at five o'clock and there's empty boxes. <laughs> and you got a decision to make. What kind of person are you? Are you the minimum or the extra mile? I've been both. I've been, oh, you're not ready for me. I'll be back. (laughs) And I've been the, hey, what can I do to help? Jesus says, we're the go the extra mile people. We're the do above and beyond people. We're the give our best people. We're not the mail it in. We're not the consumer uh, Christians. We're the give everything we have to advance the kingdom of earth, a kingdom of heaven on earth. That's who we are. That's the kind of people that we are. See, that's above average. Are you a go the extra mile kind of person? I don't know. I don't know. And then he goes on. He says, after that, oh, I got to tell you a story about that first before I move because it's exciting funny. You know, I tell this story about struggling getting ready to plant the church in Oregon all the time and how long it took me to find a job. But there's some nuances to that that sometimes I don't get to share and it's exciting to do it. But <clears throat> I, was, I was looking for 10 months. I had moved to Oregon. I wanted to plant a church and I thought God had called me and I couldn't find a job and I was frustrated and I was depressed because after about eight or nine months of applying first at high level jobs and then saying, I'll work at Taco Bell and still can't get a job, you start feeling pretty bad about yourself. And I was there. But I also knew we were getting this church going. And one of the things that was critical to me, and I believe is critical to the body of Christ, is we were going to be a kind of place that just poured into our community and into our neighborhood and just served and just gave ourselves away. And so someone asked me if I would be willing to volunteer somewhere. And I remember thinking, I don't need volunteer opportunities. I need a job. And over at the Park and Rec District, There was a need of some volunteers. And one of my friends was one of the guys that worked at the Park and Rec. He goes, if you want to come and just volunteer, we're looking for some help. He knew I didn't have anything going on. I was like, all right, Park and Rec District. How hard is that? You know, play dodgeball with some kids or something like that. I'm your guy for that. Fine. So I show up. I'm the only one that shows up for this volunteer thing. And they say, okay, we're so glad you're here. Here's what we need. They're doing some kind of thing with their tax-related stuff, and they have to inventory their supplies. Now I got to tell you, Park and Rec District, not too 
well put together for their supplies. And they put me in a closet filled with Tupperware bins of like rulers and pencils. And they're like, we need to know how much stuff we have. And I was like, are you kidding me? This is the worst volunteer job for my personality type, like on the planet. And so I got in there and at first I was like, I'll just, just be honest with you. I was like, nah. I was doing the gumball in a jar. Looks like about 80 of those, <laughs> right? <laughs> that was my first instinct, right? I was just gonna do the bare minimum. And then this gal came in, Lynn, because no other volunteers had come in. Uh, she was her department. She was the ordering person or whatever. And I talked with her for a little while. And then I just realized, I was like, you know, there's people here. So I'm just gonna love whoever I can love on. And pretty soon I opened the closet up. I'm just singing out loud. I'm singing worship songs. I'm singing 80s songs. I'm just, you know, I'm just, I'm not singing well, but I'm singing loud and, you know, trying to pass the time and I've got things out and I'm counting them and I'm pulling them in the hallways and I'm just having a day, just trying to make the best out of it. One of the ladies came over and talked with me for a while. Um, she's an older gal with a ponytail. Her name was Beth. And, and uh, I talked to her for a little while and found out that she used to be a referee in the Pac-12, like an umpire for softball. And so she had gone to Stanford and she was cool. She had a cool story. I was talking to her while I'm counting things and, you know, kind of in front of her office, just gabbing with her. And I just made a day of it. I was like, I'm just going to go, I'm going to do the, I'm going to light this. I, I'm not good at the detail stuff right here, but I can light up the room and just have fun and joke with people. And what are you going to do? Well, a couple months later, I got a call from one of the a million applications that I had sent out. I didn't even have internet at my house anymore. I was so, like, I couldn't do it. And so I had to, like, go other places and check my emails far enough back ago, and I couldn't just get it on my phone. So I go somewhere, check my email, and I've got a call back for a job over at the Park and Rex. And I was like, oh, that's cool. I had fun. I met some people over there. I go. It's the first actual in-person interview after 10 months that I land. And I walk into the room, and the first person I see who's doing the interview is Beth. Softball gal. And I just thought, you know what? If I had just crumbed through that volunteer opportunity, if I had just mailed it in, if I had just done the gumball count stuff, if I hadn't gone the extra mile, see, sometimes the extra mile is your interview for your promotion for what God's wanting to entrust you with, but you can't be mailing it in. Did I think that was an important moment in my life? No, I was just trying to find a way to have fun and be who I was and give my best because that's who I wanna be. Sometimes we're mailing it in and we're missing our opportunity that God wants to promote us into. Go the extra mile. Last thing, give to the one who asks of you and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. There were some specific laws of lending going on here that are important to understand. You gotta understand that in their culture at their time, in that Jewish culture, there's a thing called the year of Jubilee. And the way that they lent out money and resources is that at every seven years, they wipe the books, no matter what. Now think about that with your mortgage for just a second. Let that, let that click in, right? Every seven years, they wipe the books. Now that doesn't mean you got a debt and you, you couldn't pay it off in seven years and then seven years they wiped it out. No, every seven years. So if you borrowed at year one, you'd have seven years to pay it off. But if you borrowed at year five or year six, now all of a sudden something's changed. Now the clock's ticking a little bit and I might view you differently. Like Aaron, I may trust you pretty well. And if I lent you something, think, yeah, he's probably gonna pay me back. But in this culture, in this time, I also might look at the clock and go, wow, that's a pretty big loan for me to give you at year six. So I'm gonna hold off until the year of Jubilee and then come talk to me in like 13 months. Do you see what's happening there? 
That was average. That was normal. People were just evaluating how generous I'm going to be by how likely you are to stiff me. Ever take someone out to lunch and they'll be like, oh, I'll get the next one. And you're like, uh-huh, next one, number seven right here. And you're just like making a check mark on your wallet trying to, you're like, all right, I remember that's the seventh time, Kevin, and I just bought lunch in a row, but I got you, you'll get the next one, right? And you start having a certain feeling and pretty soon you're like, I don't want to take Kevin out to lunch anymore. I just can't afford it. You see how that goes? That's what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, we're not the group of people who lend to people based on our expectation of what they can now do for us. It's not leverage. We don't leverage our relationships that way. We are generous. Now, this isn't about poor stewardship. He's not saying give everything to everyone who needs. He's saying we're the people who are willing to give to the one who is in need. I remember learning this from my grandmother. There's just a way that we can be generous. And I remember time after time, I remember my grandmother just would give things away. And I'm like, you didn't get that back. She's like, I know. And I'm like, I'll go get it. Like, I got Puerto Rican judo. <laughs> they gave something. I didn't get it back. And she would say, no, mijo, let it go. It's no big deal. It's just stuff. I'm like, Grandma, now we don't have whatever that thing is. Bowl, a spoon, whatever. Clock, clothing, whatever. And people took weird stuff from our house all the time. When you're generous, people know. Like, why is there no clock on the wall? Oh, someone need a clock, mijo. It's like, what? Who needs a clock? Oh, you know, Lucy down the street. Okay. Let me go get the clock back. Let me go buy you. Another. No, no, it's fine. And she would tell me, you know, I may not have a lot of things. There'll be a lot of people at my funeral. She would tell me that. So I remember the last conversation I had with her, that's what she talked about. And it was packed. She invested in people. Here's why this is so hard. This isn't about legalism. This isn't a legalistic Thing about how to behave. This is relational, and this is why it's hard. Because Jesus is saying at the core of all these laws, at the core of all these principles, are a way to interact with them that either brings us to deeper relationship with people or pulls us out of relationship with people. He's saying we're the kind of people who go deep and invest in others. We have to go the second mile. This hurts so much because some of us have experienced broken relationships. We've been hurt. And we're like, man, I can't turn the other cheek. I've been offended. I'm offended. We have an entire generation that can't handle any offense. It's like litigation happening because of the slightest offense. Jesus is like, don't be so offendable. Stop it. Just stop it. Turn the other cheek. Some of us have felt like others have just manipulated us. It's like, I'll never be generous again. He's like, stop that. You're always going to have manipulators out there. There's always going to be people looking to take advantage of whatever they can take advantage of you. Don't lose your generous spirit. He says, hey, a lot of you just do the bare minimum. 27 and a half hours of fun time for you and you're mailing in seven hours with your kids. Stop that. Don't do the bare minimum. 
well, if I do this much, she'll, come on, husbands, she won't be mad at me. That's the minimum requirement, right? As long as I get the garbage out by this time and I get this chore done and I look, you know, then I'll be able to watch the game. Like we're just leveraging. He's like, stop thinking that way. That's not who you are. Some of you have been like, hey, you should help in kids. And you're like, stop it. No, you stop it. You should use your gifts. Not if it's kids, I'm just whatever. Right, that's who we are. We're the go the extra mile people. We're to find our way to use our gifts and give ourselves away, folks. I mean, like, get in a small group. And you're like, no. I'm like, yes. Let's do it. I said it. There, deal with it. <laughs> He's like, go the extra mile. Some of you are like, dude, I've been, I'm just tired of feeling like everybody has burned me. I'm not lending my strength. I'm not lending my resource. I'm tired. Giving myself away. And Jesus is like, that's pretty average. I get it if, if you need to have some boundaries, create boundaries. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, just don't let your heart get to the place where you're just done. Just done caring. You're done giving away your life and yourself. We're here and it's all about relationships. We gotta be willing to do that. Jesus said, you know what? That would be above average. In fact, he says it would be so above average, he wraps up the whole entire passage with this. He says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be the sons of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will that get you? Aren't even the tax collectors doing that? But if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the pagans do that? So be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect and that word perfect right there just means be complete be fulfilled be finished don't have the edges of well i don't just do i just do the minimum it's like be complete go over the top be generous now here's what's crazy this group of people began to believe this and some things started changing in their culture and in their world Suddenly, these oppressive governmental things that were thrown on them didn't make sense because of the way they radically gave themselves away, the way they radically loved one another, the way they radically valued each other, the way they radically served one another. And it changed. Eventually, it toppled the culture that was oppressing them. They outloved them. That was crazy. Rome fell apart and eventually became a Christian nation before it got ran over. They overthrew the Roman government with love. That's crazy. By treating people relationally with value. That's crazy. They went from oppressed to the national religion of Rome. They went from crazy whack job Christians that, that, that Christians was a slur word. It was a mocking word. Oh, you little Christ. It was like when you at a high school and you see a table and you're like, oh, those are the nerds. Those are the jocks. Those are the whatever. You know what I mean? Those are the preps. Those are the whatever, right? And, and you kind of give them a, a, what is derogatory to you, but then they take it as like a badge of honor. Yeah, we're the nerds. Yeah, we're the jocks. We're the, that's what Christians came from, right? It was Rome just making fun of them, being like, oh, you crazy people believe a guy died and rose from the dead and that you can love us into submission. We're like, yeah, that's, that's us. And we're going to love you into submission. And then Rome becomes a Christian nation like within a couple hundred years. That's crazy. That's crazy. So anyways, we can get into the history another time. He says, be perfect. Be complete. Be finished. Be generous. Go big. 
It's the same root word that Jesus uses at the end of communion when he says he'd received the drink. Jesus said, it's finished. So turn the other cheek, give the shirt off your back, go the extra mile, help people in need. Jesus is like, hey, this is what we do. We turn the other cheek. We give the shirt off our back. We go the extra mile. We help people who are in need. So what are some ways we can be above average? Wouldn't it be cool if that kind of thinking was the way that people saw this church? If people in this neighborhood and in this community looked at this place and said, you know what's weird about them? They're not easily offended. We thought this would offend them and they didn't get offended. We thought, we thought some of these restrictions, these things that were going on, we thought they would be taking offense, but they didn't take offense. Wouldn't that be cool if that's how people thought about Celebration Center? Wouldn't it be cool if people looked over here and said, you know what? They're generous there. They give themselves away. They'd give the shirt off their backs for you. Here's what I know. You like people who you would describe that way. Whoever, when you think of, oh, he'd give the shirt off his back for you. That person, you don't hate that person, right? You want to raise little people who have that, dis- that description over their lives, that other people look at them and say, oh, they're the kind of person that would give the shirt off their back for you. You instinctively are drawn and like those kinds of people. Jesus is like, because that's above average. And we want you to be that way. You love people that go the extra mile. You feel good about things when you get to go the extra mile. Sometimes we get burned and the best thing we could do is lend a hand. Say, you know what? I know that didn't work out best for me, but I'm still gonna bless you. I'm still gonna bless. Can you imagine if that's how people thought about this place? If that's how they thought about you? If that's who they thought Jesus was? Didn't Jesus do all that for us? Isn't it true that he turned the other cheek and accepted insult? That he accepted insult on our behalf? Isn't it true that he was willing to give himself away for us? Isn't it true that he was exploited? (laughs) You know that go the extra mile thing that shows up in the cross? Because it was part of the culture at that time, remember? Jesus couldn't carry it. One of the Roman soldiers turned to someone next to him. Remember that guy's name, Simon? He's like, hey, you, pick this up. You ever wonder why Simon didn't say, hey, not me, I'm out of here? Why Simon didn't just go, ah, leave me out of this mess? Because when a Roman soldier looked at you and said, you pick this up and you carry it a mile, you picked it up and you carried it a mile. So Simon enters into the narrative of Jesus because of, that's just cool, he's free for you. Go the extra mile. You might be in somebody's story. You might be in their Jesus story because you were available and willing to go the extra mile. Be willing to lend a hand. Would you stand with me? I don't know about you. These are all still really hard for me. They're easier when I kind of understand them. But I know this. I don't want to wake up every morning and go, let's shoot for average today. If I could just... I just want to nail it right smack on the bottom of the bar. C's get degrees, baby. Let's go for this thing. That's not the life. (laughs) Some of you just woke up right there. It was eight seconds, so I had to throw something in. (laughs) I want to be like Jesus. 
I want to have the impact. I want to see our culture and our world change. I want to see lives change. Why? Because I just was willing to be a little bit more than average. I want that for you. Wouldn't it be awesome if your marriage wasn't average? If you're raising above average kids, if you had above average experiences at work, if you were able to have uh, above average relationships, what would that look like? What would it take to be anything but average? Jesus is like, well, here's some keys. Can we do that? Can we do that? That's my invitation, my challenge for you. Let's pray. God, thanks so much for loving us enough to challenge us with your word, to actually live this thing out. Not just become on hearers of the word, but to do what it says. And I just pray right now for a generation of people who would be willing to step beyond, come on now, beyond the average, outside of the bare minimum and move into the place where though it cost me something, the impact might be eternal and heavenly and be changed. God, thank you for the person who is willing to go the extra mile for me. Thank you for the people you sent who weren't offended at the way my behaved, at the, at the, my uncouthness who instead embraced me and loved me. Thank you for the people who went the extra mile for all of us who weren't offended at that, who were willing to give themselves away, who were willing to, to not expect it to be even and equal all the time. They knew that I was gonna have to lean into their strength and resource until I was on my feet. Yet they loved me and believed in me and because of that. Look what the Lord has done. Could we be ambassadors of that, I pray. I pray that we would see change. I pray it would change neighborhoods. I pray there'd be neighborhoods this week that leaves got raked anonymously. Come on now. And somebody's life was improved and better and some, just because someone went the extra mile and supported and blessed. I pray there'd be relationships that have been just damaged by offense that would mend and heal and restore this week because someone said, I'm not gonna care. I'm not gonna allow that offense to get into my heart and to damage me. I'm not gonna seek to balance out that offense. God, I pray there'd be healing and restoration. I pray that generous spirits would begin. God, whether it's our time, our talents, our research, whatever it is we have to give, that God, you just give us a heart to be generous and make a difference and make an impact, I pray. God, I pray you'd take us to a place that was above average. We wanna experience the exceptional because that's who you are. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name, amen.